It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. It's New Year's time, and this is good because my guest is singer, songwriter, and producer Dave Damiani, who will be performing New Year's Eve Countdown December 31st at Vix Las Vegas. For more information, go to VixLasVegas.com. And for everything about Dave Damiani, you can go to DaveDamiani.com, and you can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ira. I'm excited to uh, to come out to Vegas and see you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, is this the first time you've performed for New Year's Eve in Las Vegas? I did a couple years back. My friend had a place at the uh, SLS called the Sayers Club, and we performed there. My friend Jason Scopa and I did a show at the Cannery early, and then we sh- we went there late. But yeah, we I've been I've done New Year's Eve one more time, one time before, but not ever at a place like Vix. I mean, Vix is just the most amazing jazz club in the country. I mean, it is really spectacular. They just did an incredible job, and I'm blown away by it, really. I mean, it's fantastic. That raises a good question I've been meaning to ask you, is why jazz for you as opposed to pop or classical or blues or anything else? Why particularly jazz? Not that you exclude any of that, but you focus on jazz. Why is that? I don't know. I was, uh, you know, I was out here in Los Angeles. Um, I'm in Palm Springs right now. I had a show last night at the Ritz Carlton for Frank Sinatra's 108th birthday. But um, I was, you know, in Los Angeles, kind of like working as like a trying to get into entertainment, doing um, some acting, some writing, and uh, I got a job briefly at this Italian restaurant called Michelli's, which is the oldest Italian restaurant in Los Angeles. It was from 1949. That is old, and, yeah. Yeah, they had singing waiters in there, and they were all singing like American songbook standards and and like Broadway tunes. And to be honest with you, I was always a huge fan of. I, I talked about this Harry Connick Jr. when he came out with the when Harry Met Sally soundtrack. It was like I think it was like eighty eight or eighty seven, or and um, Rob Reiner had hired him to do that. And I was a huge fan of that movie, but I always became a fan of Harry Connick Jr. He was the person that really turned me on to this music, and through him. I discovered Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Chet Baker and then, you know, people like Buddy Greco and Frankie Randall and, I mean, just Sammy Davis Jr. and Bobby Darin. And I, I kind of discovered this music and then I, I don't know, I just I just kind of felt like I could sing it. I kind of felt like I could tell the stories and I really like this genre of music where you had the classic songwriters and, and I, I've, I've written some pop tunes and I've done some some things with like, you know, I, I play a little piano. I was I had a wedding band. We did some stuff years ago where we would go and play pop tunes, and I would sing a couple of them. But the um, American Songbook and the standards and jazz, for whatever reason, kind of spoke to me, and I just I went I went kind of like into like this trance with it, and uh, just kept it kept it going. And I've been I guess I've been doing it now for twenty years. It doesn't feel like it, but I have. It is amazing. You also were involved at. Charlie O's Jazz Club in uh, Valley Village. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing the the, the sweatshirt right now. (laughs) For those who are watching, yeah, you can see it. That's great. (laughs) Charlie O's Jazz Club was a jazz club in Los Angeles from around 1999 to about 2008 or 9. And Charlie was a, uh, he opened this club just because he loved 
musicians, very similar to the Loudons. You know, they love jazz. They they did this because they love jazz and they have the best people playing there. I'm honored and humbled to be asked to play their New Year's Eve. But Charlie had people like John Hurd on bass and Roy McCurdy on drums and Ernie McDaniel playing with Earl Palmer, who's a legendary drummer from um, the uh, the Wrecking Crew. I mean, Carol Kay would come in on bass. Lou Rawls would sit in. Richie Cole. Pete and Connie Condoli. Teddy Edwards. Plas Johnson. I had no idea who these people were when I was <laughs> learning about jazz. And Basically, I was working at this jazz club. I worked five nights a week behind the bar and working there. And then having had a little job at Michelli's, I was like, what's going on? Am I supposed to be? Is God telling me something? I mean, are they saying, hey, look, yo, man. This is what's up for you. And, and and ever since I started just kind of focusing on that, I mean, I went back to school. and But but the Charlie O's Jazz Club was like an education. I listened to jazz three, four hours a night every night for three years. Well, so, what, I mean, it was just, I, I, you, you skipped over it, but I think it's important for people to know that you didn't just go back to school. You, you received a master's degree in commercial music. Yeah, I got a master's degree in commercial music. I went back. I learned how to play piano and I learned how to arrange and I kind of learned how to you know, like I said, they used to kind of make fun of the singers when, when I was working at the jazz club. The musicians would come over in the corner and I'd get them a drink and they'd say, oh, my God, what do you call – how do you know when a female singer is at your front door? And they'd say, well, she doesn't have a key and she doesn't know how to come in because when you don't know the key of your song that you're singing or you don't know when the introduction's done to come in, these are things that you learn as a musician. And they used to joke about it. They used to razz these singers, guys and girls. They used to make fun of them if they didn't really have their, if they weren't professional, if they didn't really have their technique, they didn't really understand the, uh, the, um, you know, the basics of singing. Like, you know, if you were going to show up at a job, you know, as a contractor and you didn't have a ladder or a hammer, uh, so they would tease them. And I said, man, I never want to be like that as a singer. I want to, I want to go back and I want to learn at least enough piano to sit and learn a song, at least enough piano to sit and say, well, I like this introduction here. Let me see if I can play something here that I would like to come mm-hmm. in on. Or oh, let me try this. This sound really nice with this song against these chords, against this melody. And, and having done that, you know, over the course of, you know, just sitting at the piano at the jazz club, I, I went back to, to school and, and I said, you know, worst case scenario, I'll, I'll become a music teacher. You know, I'll be, I'll go teach at a high school or a grammar school. And you know, I never had to do that. Um, not that it's a bad thing, but I, you know, I, I think as I'm getting older now, you know, I think maybe at some point I might, you know, go maybe look into possibly doing a, putting together a jazz program at a little school or something. Cause yeah, I, I think really it's love, a great idea. Absolutely. I love what the guys were doing in Las Vegas. I know, you know, I don't know if you know, um, you know, Kenny Rampton and, and, uh, Dave Loeb and uh, Gary Cordell and these guys that are involved with the Joy Jazz Outreach Initiative um, with Minton Marsalis is on the chair and Jonathan Courant, but they have a really great thing that they're doing with this big band, educating kids, getting them lessons. And I, I want to get involved with these guys. We, I did a couple of shows with them, but I really love them and they're really sweet and great musicians in Las Vegas. So, No, I think that's a great idea for you because you, you are so versatile in the sense I introduced you as singer, songwriter, and, and that's important because you're in, involved in a lot of elements there. What, when you were introduced to jazz initially, was there one particular performer that spoke to you as opposed to, uh, there's so many greats, obviously, in jazz. So it, it, it sounds crazy. Even, I, even before I even got a job at the jazz club, I was at a um, record store in Los Angeles when they actually had records and CDs. <laughs> and this is probably, I'd say, 1998 or 99, and I heard this 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 piano uh, 
playing in the background. I was like, wow, this is such a cool, this is such a cool album. And I, and I kind of like hung out in the store and it was an album by Thelonious Monk and it was called Underground. And uh, John Hendrix was singing a track on it. And I bought the album and I played it nonstop. And then um, a couple years later, because I was listening to Sinatra and Dean Martin, I discovered Chet Baker. And when I heard him play trumpet and sing, and I was like, is this a guy or a girl? I couldn't tell from his voice. I mean, it was very like soft, but it was so cool and kind of haunting. And I, I started taking vocal lessons and I started, you know, seeing that there's other ways that you can, you know, but I think a lot of Chet Baker, I listened to that Chet Baker Sings album a thousand times. I listened to Thelonious Monk Underground a thousand times. I really got into Bill Evans. I loved Bill Evans' uh, Waltz for Debbie. I loved anything that Wynton Kelly played on. I mean, there was some great, great records that he did with Miles Davis, and there was some stuff that he did with um, Hank Mobley, Soul Station. I love that album. And a lot of the guys who, you know, I, I just, you, you kind of learn that the whole the whole thing about the the vocabulary there's a vocabulary in jazz where these guys play like i never like became a masterful soloist but i totally know you know when i hear a great solo and i know you sure. know but that that hasn't been my my thing's just been kind of like singing the song maybe coming maybe coming at it from a little different angle on the arrangement and being you know listen to the like the, the diction people used to talk about diction about you know, make sure that you are able to um, hear the word. Make sure that your that your enunciation is correct. If you listen to Nat King Cole or Frank Sinatra, they learned from a guy named Dick Hames, and I listened to a lot of Mabel Mercer and Bobby Short. They made sure that you could hear the lyric of the song that you actually knew. And great soloists, saxophone soloists, have told me, and trumpet soloists, I always learn the lyric before I play the melody. Why? Well, because. Wouldn't you want to know what the song's about, even if you're playing it instrumental? Because people are singing in, 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 in their head. So Sinatra, like Sinatra was that. yeah, Sinatra was very big on the lyrics, and he also attributed his phrasing to Mabel Mercer as well. Right, right. So uh, I had a vocal teacher when I first got to LA. When I when I you know, he pushed me to go back to school. Actually, this guy named Deanie Clark, and uh, I used to go to his house and. We would listen to Mabel Mercer and Bobby Short, Johnny Hartman. He loved Johnny Hartman. He loved Joe Williams. Joe Williams was another. Joe Williams was a bartender until he was 40 years old. Never started Amazing. singing until you know, he was almost 40 years old. I mean, you're talking about people who they there was a certain there was a certain pedagogy. There was a certain systematic approach to learning a song and understanding that you could you know learn the melody and always sing it through the first time the way it's supposed to be sung. And then if you want to take a liberty, do that the second time around. But you always want to introduce the song and sing it, you know, and pay homage to the songwriters, of course. You know. I get the feeling that you are, and I've said this to certain guests over the years, I get the feeling you're an old soul. I think I, I think so. I think I am. I, I, you know, I don't really, when you said like about doing pop music and stuff, I got, honestly, I, I really can't stand a lot of it. I mean, every once in a while, I hear a song that I'm like, wow, that's a really well-written song. There's a song that John Mayer wrote, I don't know, 15 years ago now called Daughters. I just think it's a fantastically well-written song. Um, there's a song that Justin Bieber wrote that I love, that he, that he um, Love Yourself, which is kind of like a pop tune, but I just think it's a fantastic song. Every once in a while, there's great songs that are written, but most of them are, are kind of like, I don't know, not, I, I just don't understand, you know, I go to, I, I go to, a, I went to a place in, in Los Angeles where they used to have a jazz trio. 
And I walked in and they had a, a girl singing with a computer hitting the space bar. Mm. And the guy was playing along to a track and the drummer just had a hi-hat and he's just playing on the hi-hat, but there's a full drum set. So these people are, are taking a real easy way, cheap way out right. of like, you know, it, my thing was if, if you only have a bass player and it's you and a, I've done gigs with just me and a bass player. The bass player plays the, the, the bass note and I sing the melody and it's really cool. You could, it's called a cordless trio. You can use a, a saxophone as well with, with a vocalist and, and a bass player. But you make the most of whatever you have. And that's the, that was what I was raised on, you know, learning from these old school guys at the jazz club. If I hadn't done that, I don't know if I would have ever, ever thought about it this way. I want to talk to you about what you're going to be doing New Year's Eve at Vix. But before that, I was listening to you and your voice sounds closer and closer to a guy who you're friends with. And that is Joe Piscopo. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. And it's, you've got the, a little bit of the same cadence or rhythm as Joe does. Joe was on my old show back at the Las Vegas Hilton. He, he was great. There's something about him that is endearing and very contagious as far as his enthusiasm. And I know that you've appeared on his radio show once or twice or more than once. I, I, recorded, I recorded a song with him. Yeah, we Christmas did, uh, song, too. He's coming to town. And um, I've been very good friends with Joe. In fact, I just... Called him this morning. His mother passed away yesterday. So mm-hmm. sending out our, our thoughts and prayers to them. I mean, I know he's very close with his mom, but a really great guy. He was, you know, Frank loved him. He did the he did the whole thing for SNL. He got the gig pretty much doing the Frank Sinatra impersonation. He right. told me when he went in. And um he's uh really very talented guy. He plays the drums, he plays the piano a little bit, he plays the saxophone. He, he gets married the all the time, the, the whole thing, yeah. right? <laughs> and he, and he, he's a great showman and he's a, honestly a great, great host. And um, I, 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 uh, th- I appreciate that because I, I'm, I like Joe a lot. He's a good guy. Yeah, he is. And there's another thing about you that people don't know, which is uh, baseball that you're in. Yeah, I played baseball in, um, in, in high school and a little bit in college. And um, I actually played when I was a uh, junior and what was I? I was a senior in high school, and we played Miami Westminster. And um, I'm the same age as Alex Rodriguez. I'm a year older, so we we played against each other in high school. Um, I was a catcher for for uh, Spanish River High School, and we played against them, and uh, we actually beat them six to five. But he was the short <laughs> stop. You remember the score? I like phenom. that. He was a phenom, and uh, <laughs> it was kind of kind of weird. I, I didn't really know, you know, no, we didn't. I didn't know at the time that you know he was going to turn out to be what he turned out to be, but. There was a lot of great ball players when I, I went to high school in Florida and I played against a lot of guys, a guy named Chris Steins, who wound up playing for Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. And there was a lot of great, great ball players. Um, but you also, I, yeah, you also play baseball though with uh, more, more recently in the sense of a, a league that you guys have. I still play in this, in this MSBL. It's like a yeah. men's senior baseball league. And we actually, you know, play real, you know, fast pitch baseball and we do it with, um, you know, there's, there, I think you got to be like 40 or over, but it's great. I've been playing with these guys for a while. I actually dislocated my shoulder, and I have a you know $15,000 hospital bill to, to prove it. Um, but, but it was uh, it was pretty it was pretty uh pretty awesome. I, I love it. I, I would I'll keep playing until I can't anymore. I could see you standing on stage singing with a broken arm, but you can still pull it off. Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I did it. I had to do it. I had a, I had a sling yeah. for a while. You know? so, <laughs> but it, it, I'm telling you, it, the injuries are hard. Like it's a little like I. They asked me because I was a catcher, so they asked me to. I said I'll play, but I really don't want to catch. But I had to go and catch because we needed a catcher for this game. And like I caught like a nine inning game, and I'm I'm still. This was a couple weeks ago. On my legs still. I mean, it's not the same when you're you know nineteen, twenty, right, or, exactly. You know, it's just yeah, not exactly. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about your upcoming appearance. Again, it's New Year's Eve countdown at VIX, December 31st. And it's not just Damiani. There's also a lot of other people involved. And if you want to well, talk about some of the, those people, I'm, I'm happy to, to have you share their names. Yeah, we have, we have an incredible, incredible band for New Year's Eve. We have on drums um, a guy who worked on the um, Come Fly Away tour, the Sinatra, where they played all, all the Sinatra tunes. And he was a fantastic drummer, super swinging. His name is Paul Ringenbach. Um, he's one of the best drummers in, in uh, hands down in Vegas. On bass is one of my dearest friends for over 20 years. He played with Michael Buble, and he also is the current musical director for Steve Tyrell. But Steve's not playing this year because he's been, you know, struggling with some health issues. Mm -hmm. He got sick, and so I got Lyman Medeiros on bass, who's the, the best. And then on piano, a gentleman by the name of Joey Singer who everybody in Vegas knows he's been with Dennis Bono for, I don't know, 20 years doing the uh, Dennis Bono show. He played with, uh, I mean, he played with everybody. Every, every, every name that you could think of, Joey has played. He was one of the people that did Showstoppers, Debbie Reynolds. I mean, he's just, just been a musical director for some of the greatest people in town. Clint Holmes he worked with. and mm -hmm. I mean, every local people. Also, I have a friend coming to play trumpet who was uh, one of the great, he's one of the greatest soloists in the world. He's from Juilliard Music School, but he's, he's you know, that's, that's years ago. He played with the Eagles. He toured with uh, Don Henley and the Eagles, and now he's, uh, he's going to be in Vegas. So he says, man, I'm going to come play with you guys. His name is Mike Catone, and if you love jazz trumpet. And I'm basically going to be doing standards. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to tell some jokes. And it's going to be like an old school supper club show. You know, if you, if you want to go out on New Year's and you want to go out on a nice date, you can even come to the early seating and enjoy dinner and then go out afterwards and party. But we're going to have a fun time, but we're going to have an adult time. We're not going to <laughs> it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like, like a, like a mess where, and I, and, and I imagine that it's going to be pretty crowded, but I don't think it's going to be like, you know, I, I, I've been down on the strip before on New Year's Eve and it's a zoo. It's a zoo. So where VIX is and where it is perfect, if you just want to have a nice night and, and the food is fantastic. And, and God bless the Loudons for really creating one of the greatest spots anywhere. It's great to see jazz having a resurgence, especially in the downtown area. There's jazz at the Smith Center a lot, but just to have a club devoted to it, which is right next to the Smith Center, where Vix is. Yeah, so I think, I think I'm coming out a, a little bit early. I'm going to go on, on the 28th to see my friend Benny Benack, one mm -hmm. of the great trumpet players, singers. Well, Benny, be Benny was at Vix, and Benny was on my show not that long ago when he was last uh, year. He's, yeah. he's extraordinary, and he's one of my one of my dear friends. And I love the guy, and um, I'm going to hang with him on the 28th. I'll probably do a song or something, go talk about the show. And then um, on the 29th, I don't know what the plan is, but on the 30th, I think I might go see Seth MacFarlane at the Smith Center, who's going to be there performing with the orchestra. And then on the 31st, I have, I have Vix. So I'm looking forward to like, you know, two or three nights of like, just like great jazz and hanging out and hanging out with my friends. And a lot of my LA friends are playing with Seth MacFarlane. So that should be really, really fun. Tell us a little bit about the jazz community itself, because it seems to be a very well-connected fraternity or sorority or a combination thereof. In other words, all of you in the jazz community performers, singers, musicians, they all seem to know each other. Is that fair or mostly fair or what would you say? I mean, I mean like honestly, at this stage of my career, if I haven't heard of somebody, then there's something weird. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I'm going to a city, like I also, in addition to being 
you know, singing and producing and, and doing th- and, and songwriting. I also had a business I still do for a while called No Vacancy Entertainment, where mm-hmm. I book musicians for like private events and hotels. And I call musicians every day. Like I need, I, I probably employ, you know, 15, 20 people a day um, playing at different gigs, doing different things. Like this hotel needs a duo, a piano player and a bassist. And over the course of the years, if you know somebody from Los Angeles and you say, you know, Dave Damiani, I, if they've been around, they've definitely, we've definitely worked together or done a gig for one another. And in the process of doing that, all other musicians, they also find jobs that people say, hey, can you get me a band for this? Can you get me a band for that? I need a piano player. Oh, let me call this person. Let me call that person. So like you go on your phone and you type in – I type in piano and there's like 50 names of people that like mm. I would call from Los Angeles. There's 50 people that I would call on bass. There's you know 30 people that play trumpet. So when you when you like do it that much and then – yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I've done three, four thousand gigs in my life. So like, you play with these people. Like, there's there's definitely my friend Alex that I'm gonna. He's playing with Benny on the 28th. Uh, we must have done a, a thousand gigs in the in the you know three four year span. We were doing you know five six sometimes seven gigs a week. So it's you That's know you lot. become friends with people. You become family with them. You become you ri- you, you ride in cars to the gig for two hours <laughs> and you make and they tell you about the gig they had the night before and they tell oh, this guy man he was great or this guy man not so great. You know, so <laughs> kind of make a list of people that you want to call. So there's no vacancy at Dave Damiani's organization. There's always well, I mean, always actually, room. there are always vacancies because we're always looking for more. You're more right. Work. It's the opposite. It's, there's always a vacancy because you're using. Yeah, you're always looking for people yeah, to book. We're trying for to fill things. the vacancies. That's what. You know. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, there's always you always want to you know and and you know COVID came and really wiped us out. You know, I mean, I had to do a lot of things to kind of make ends meet because my whole business was based upon me performing and other people performing and then there was no more hotels and there was no more you know jazz clubs and there was no more so you know i'm no i mean like you know i've worked with piscopo i've gotten mm-hmm. gigs with i mean i worked with bobby rydell i worked with renee olstead a couple times i think you were interviewed us for the smith center before i've done something with jane monheit george benson did this sinatra 100 sal the voice valance and eddie from america's got talent land al murphy jr Winner of America's Got Talent, Haley Reinhardt, all these people I've worked with over the years, and we, you know, we go to Florida. We have to have a band. So what do I do? I call a couple people I know in Florida. Next thing you know, anytime I go to, it's too hard to travel. It's too expensive to travel with, you know, ten people. So I got to hire them there, do a rehearsal, and then boom, we do the show the next night. It always works out. So do they drive to the hotel? For example, if you go to Florida and you set up a band. Are they allowed to stay at the hotel overnight or is it because they're local? They just drive to the event, rehearse. They just drive home. I mean, you know, like I try and try and cut the cost, you know, like the same thing like in New York City. Like how are you going to put up 10 people in New York City? You're not – the gig's got to pay $25,000 by the time you pay for flights and, you know, you – and, you know, if you – let's say somebody's got, you know, 8,000. You got to figure out a way to make that happen. You know, within the parameters of, right. you know, if you can make it happen, if it makes sense. But, sure. And, you know, I'm always being, you know, smart and cautious about how to um, still get my name out there, still perform and, you know, do it where it's sustainable. And that's the whole thing with music. You, it's an amenity. It's an amenity. Like, you know, we can live without a live band. We can't live without water. <laughs> right. You or know, food. We, or right. Yeah. Or food. Exactly. Or food. Yeah. yeah. One of your songs, I was listening to it the other day, what I liked about it. It was That's All, and that's usually sung, yours was up-tempo, which is the first time I've heard it that way, and it was really interesting because I didn't think I would like an up-tempo version of That's All. I know we're 
we're changing subjects, but the thought occurred to me. And you were doing it as an up-tempo, but it was great because it was not, it was not what I expected. I expected something that wouldn't work as well as the usual tempo for That's All. How did you decide to, to do that song that way? My moniker has been bending the standard. So I take the standards and we do bending the standard. We take a, like a different bass line or we take a different approach to the song. Because why do it like everybody else? Michael Bublé did it exactly like Mel Torme. I mean, Mel Torme did it very similar to Frank Sinatra. I mean, like, so like, why do we need another version of That's All that's the same? You know, why, why, do, why do people want to hear me do it to like a karaoke track? Let me create something. So, but it's got to be, it can't be forced either. You can't force. Exactly. That's my point. It, it, didn't, it didn't sound forced. It sounded perfectly natural. So, so we were like, we were like ending a show one night and we were like, boom, ba-doom. And I was like, all right, let's do that song. Let's do that song to this. And they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, just, you know, just let do that song. And then, and then at the end of the show, I was like, that's all, that's all, that's all. Good night, y'all. That's all, that's all. It's time to go. Good. That's all. We did a tag like that. And people really thought it was funny and cute. So we just kind of kept it. And then we added a big band arrangement to it. And then we recorded it on the album, Bending the Standard In. And then, you know, I've just been, you know, Every song that I do, that I present, I try and present it in a way that's never been presented before. But I don't try and turn it on its head. That would be breaking the standard. There's a great movie with Alan Alda, and Woody. Woody it's a Woody Allen film called Crimes and Misdemeanors. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have. I forget how. One, I of, the forget greatest, the one of the great there. movies of all time. Yeah, one of the top to, yeah. five. It's about time, 25 years old, maybe more at this yeah. point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, Martin Landau is in there. He plays the you know doctor. But... Alan Alda plays a documentary filmmaker and he's kind of a goofball. He's kind of like a very pompous guy. But he goes, you know, if you bend it, it's funny. If you break it, it's not funny. It's like, you know, if you bend it, it's funny. If you break it, it's not funny. So I kind of like, as silly as it was, I've heard people do arrangements that are so far away Mm -hmm. from the original song that you're just like, oh my God, like just write your own song. It's not even close to, you know, so I try and keep it close enough where there's some sort of like recollection of the song, but I try then to put my spin on. Do you get good feedback from fellow musicians and songwriters and others when they hear what you do with some of the standards? Because sometimes they're revered and they don't want anybody messing with them. But as you said, you're bending, you're not breaking. And you I know, one time, it. one time I did a party for somebody, and this this woman came up to me and she goes. That's all supposed to be a, a ballad. That's a lovely song, and I've never heard it done like that. And that, I don't know of how I feel about it. But that was the only time I really had anyone upset about. It. But you know, we started doing this fun stuff. Like the, I, I took the song that the, the Tender Trap, and we rewrote the lyrics for the Tinder app. And I took, you know, I took Destination Moon, and I kind of maybe changed, you know, made a metaphor about, you know the rocket ship it made it like a playful joke but right. it, people have loved it and they've caught on and and i've been hired to produce you know many artists um because of my you know thinking out of the box i mean who wants to see somebody just go like with the microphone and ah, dang, dang, and like there's no <laughs> story or there's no personality oh, this music was built on guys you know I, I talked to a good friend of mine i said what do you think it was about frank sinatra that everybody that everybody likes so much and he goes well he was a great singer, let's say that. But when he sang the songs, you had the feeling in the back of your head that if Frank wanted to kick your ass, he probably could. <laughs> I I think that there's some truth to that. 
I think that there's some truth that there's a little toughness about it. And that's kind of been my, I don't want to say I'm trying to be like Frank Sinatra. There'll never be another Frank Sinatra. But I've always tried to come at it with a little bit of approach like, you know, hey, wow, you know, you want to be, you want to be a, a man's man, but you also want to kind of come at it and you want to arrange the songs that way. And then I always thought about it like, what, what's a, what's a good way to present it? Like, and it, that it feels natural. You don't want to, you don't want to force it either. And when it, when it's forced, it just, you could tell right away. You could tell. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest is singer, songwriter, and producer Dave Damiani. He'll be performing New Year's Eve Countdown, December 31st at Vix Las Vegas. For more information, go to VixLasVegas.com. And for everything about Dave Damiani, go to Dave Damiani. Say that three times real fast. DaveDamiani.com. And follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And Dave, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And I hope you guys have a fantastic holiday. And God bless you. And come and see me at VIX on New Year's Eve. And really, we're going to have the time of our lives. So looking forward to 2024. See you then. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.